Welcome to episode 173 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And thanks for joining us again on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, find out how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And uh, as ever, please do check out the back catalogue because we've had some great guests on there. Just recently we've had the likes of Dean Kuntz and Lauren Bukas. So uh, please do check that out. There's bound to be some authors or other types of writers that you're interested in. But this week we have a great guest because it's someone that has really been through the mill but then has landed on huge, huge success. Absolutely. We're chatting with the wonderful Mark Edwards who, as Marco says, um, spent a long time, about 12 years or so, really trying to break in, getting nowhere, um, ended up going down the Kindle route, uh, self-pubbed it with um, with a friend actually. And, and was very found successful. A lot of success, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and then went into traditional publishing, kind of faltered, came back out, and now he's back into the Kindle store again with Thomas and Mercer. So, I mean, he's kind of, he's been both ends of it. He's, he's, he's got a very, a very unusual convoluted route, and now he is like a four million success story. It's Yeah, yeah, it's, four million copies sold. I mean, yeah. over four million. So, yeah, incredible story. And, does really genuinely show you know a how tough it can be to be a writer but also the importance of persistence and really believing oh, yeah. Yeah. in your own writing and and sort of trusting your gut I guess at, at certain times in terms of what path to take because it must have been very difficult getting that trad publisher and then deciding to go back to self-publishing again and that's where he really got the huge success that he's yeah he's laid and, on and we've, we've chatted to a few folk who've gone down the self-pubbed route and you know and again this is another person who's got a lot of insight into into how you make that a success whether it's the volume of books you put out or whether it's your marketing or what what kind of avenues you need to make sure you're going down to to to, to connect with your with all your readers yeah so it, it's a really sort of wide-ranging chat so we'll get straight into it after a quick advert for our writer's notebook and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest but for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. 
And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy to use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realized you need to plan how to let people read it. So we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Yes, I think since I was a teenager, um, I used to read people like Stephen King and James Herbert and Clive Barker. And I used to fantasize about having a um, book with my name on the cover, probably some killer rats or slugs or something on there with, with along with my name. Um, and English was the only thing that I was really ever good at at school. I'm sure this is what everybody says. <laughs> writing stories was was my my I guess my talent, and so from about the age of ten, actually maybe even younger, I used to write comic books. Mm-hmm. So I was a massive comic book enthusiast, like all the things like 2000 AD and Eagle and all the funny ones as well, like Wizard and Chips and the Beano, <laughs> etc. So I spend most of my spare time drawing and making up stories for these comic books. And I used to rope in my friends to make them with me. But I was a bit of a control freak. I was the editor of these (laughs) comics. And I would just end up kind of scrapping everything that everybody else did and just putting my my comic (laughs) strips in there. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and I used to... One of my friends who used to do them with me apparently has still got quite a lot of them in his garage, but I, I don't have any. They're all long. They're all lost, which is a bit of a shame. But yeah, so that's how I started out doing comic books. And then um, and then I tried to write a novel when I was about 16. In fact, I did write a whole novel, but it was absolutely abysmal. And that's long lost as well, thank God, because it was so bad. It was a very terrible attempt to write a kind of Stephen King type book and then I started again when I left university so when I was about 23 I wrote another another novel which will never see the 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 light of day which was written longhand and then I thought this is so bad it's not even worth typing it up (laughs) Um, and then I started another one so yeah that's my very long answer to your to your question (laughs) Yes. And and was it was it your third was it that third one that you started that that was your I suppose first serious attempt then would you say? Yeah, I mean it was I mean I wrote lots before I ever got a publishing deal. The third one was a kind of comic novel, a, um a satire. Then I think the fourth one was probably the first one that was in the thriller kind of psychological horror kind of genre, which is what I started to move towards when I figured out the kind of books that I wanted to write. And then the seventh, eighth, or possibly even ninth book that I wrote would have been The Magpies, which ended up being the first one that I published as a solo 
book. My story is a bit complicated because there's also the, the books that I wrote with Louise Voss as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, after, but I, I mean, I basically spent my entire twenties writing books which didn't get published. Um, and I got an agent when I was 29, I think. And, um, but then she couldn't sell my books either. So it took, it was years after that, another 10 years before I actually got a book deal. Yeah, we were, I mean, we were going through your kind of, uh, your back list of, of books. I mean, you've written mm-hmm. loads of books and especially the last like, you know, 10 years or so, you've been yeah. really a book a year almost pretty much. And, but, but up to that point, yeah, I mean, it looks like it was a really convoluted path and, and a difficult path and and you I think the thing that struck me the most was you just had you just kept going you just kept going on and on and pushing through it and just not not stopping which is which is great and and I'm writing that it was your was it your third novel that got you an agent what or you or early on you had an agent and then you were how how many attempts to get a book out yeah um, to be honest it was so long ago that I can't remember all the numbers it was probably more than that before I got an agent um and what was what would happen is, I mean, this was in the nineties, so you'd have to do it the old-fashioned way. Most of these agents didn't even have websites, mm-hmm. so you'd have to send everything in by post in a brown envelope with a stamped addressed envelope inside, and send off three chapters and a synopsis. And my life was basically just kind of the rhythm of my life was hearing the thud of these rejection <laughs> <laughs> packages landing on my doorstep. But then every now and then. I would get every few months I would get either a request for a full manuscript or I would get an agent saying this I really like your style I like your voice but it's not quite right for us at this time but make sure you send us the next thing that you write so I was constantly getting these little nibbles which would keep me going Mm -hmm. I think if I had no interest at all in those first couple of years then I would have given up quite quickly Mm -hmm. If some kind of mean Simon Cowell type figure had said to me, <laughs> you're wasting your time, just just go and concentrate on your day job. And uh, then, then I would have given up, but I kept getting positive signs and I'd get like short stories accepted. And, um, but I never quite got, got there. So an agent took me on in, it must have been 1998 or 1999 um, with a novel that I'd written. It was called The Liberators. It was about a group of friends who make a pact to become famous. It was a kind of, it was a little bit secret history-ish, but set in London and set in the kind of media world. Um, And... I think it was like 140,000 words long or something, which I'd never write anything that long now. It was, it was a, it was mammoth. (laughs) And she basically rang me up and said, this book is definitely going to sell. We're going to make lots of money. You're going to be a big, a big name, et cetera. And like really (laughs) kind of got me very excited. Um, And then it didn't happen. She started sending it out and and the rejection started coming in. Again, it was publishers saying it's not quite right. We didn't like the ending. We didn't like this bit of it. You know all the excuses that they come up with. But make sure you send us his next next book. And then that went on for a few years. And then I I was on this TV show in 19... 
99 or 2000 um about aspiring writers and um they had so so they they basically made a there was an arts show on bbc2 called close up and they they had three writers there was me who was the one with the agent but no publisher there was jay carner who wrote the long firm who just got his first book deal and then there was a writer who was a friend of the producer i think who um had written a book or part of a book but didn't have and was looking for an agent and they kind of tried to sex up the publication process and make it look all glamorous and exciting and they filmed like bikes carrying manuscripts across london and things like that (laughs) there was nothing like the reality and then they'd they'd have me kind of walking moodily along the beach getting a sad phone call from my agent (laughs) saying another publisher has turned you down and me looking all sad were you having to act out the phone call or did they actually film you live getting the phone call for the for the first time i think they actually did it Seems brutal. I think they did it live and they got me to read out loads of my rejection letters as well. <laughs> Basically, the whole thing was that I should never wow. have done it, really, because <laughs> it made it attach that kind of whiff of rejection to me. <laughs> and I think it actually probably set me back a few years because after that agent dropped me, <laughs> which happened kind of a couple, a year or two after that. Um, other agents who I started to approach said I wouldn't mention the program in your <laughs> because um, although you came across really well on the program, it kind of you've got that kind of that yeah that Stigma kind of taint yeah. that taint about you, and it, so it took me years after that. And it's quite funny. Every now and then I'll meet someone who was on the program, like I met Johnny Geller and Sheila Crowley. And I met Jake on at a party and also the producer is now a published author. So, and with the same publisher as me, with Thomas <laughs> and Mercer, which is really strange. So I keep meeting people from this show and they're, they're like, oh, we're so glad that you made it in the end. But yeah, it did take a long time. And, and, and through that process, I mean, I suppose you've sort of touched on this already, but, um, you know when you're when you're going through that process of mm. a lot of work but not much uh, in the way of reward. Yeah. What was it that kept you going at that point? Because it is, you know, we all know that writing isn't an easy thing to do, and sometimes it does seem it can seem easier to say, "Well, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stop this now." It was the fact that I felt like I was constantly, like almost getting there and not quite, because my books would get they'd go to acquisition or but get turned down at the last mm-hmm. meeting by somebody in marketing or um i would come up with another great idea what i thought was a great idea for a book that i really wanted to write and in fact that was the thing that kept me going really was the fact that i loved the writing itself i hated the the whole process of trying to get an agent and trying to get a publisher it just seemed to cause me nothing but pain or I'd, or you'd get these kind of these days or weeks of hope, but then you'd have all the stress, the incredible stress of waiting. Yeah. So the actual right, the times when I was just writing, it's a bit like that now because you still go through, even, even now I still have things rejected. I'm still waiting for things like, I don't know, film deals or whatever, or, or side projects or there's kind of there's always stuff going on now Mm -hmm. where you're waiting to hear something from your agent or your publisher 
and that's easily the worst bit of being a writer but every it was the email actual... that comes in you're like oh is this it is this it yeah. Wait, checking every yeah time. every yeah. time you hear that ping you think yeah. oh maybe this is the email or that you, i've been waiting you, for you see it you think i'm i'm not gonna open it i'm gonna I'm gonna wait a minute i'm gonna i know your first heart and then i'll read it just yeah <laughs> Your heart and your stomach. You still, I still get it now after all these years that if I'm waiting for news about something. Um, so, yeah, I guess it was, it was the actual joy of writing, and I still have that now when I'm immersed in in a book. I'm immersed in the story that I want to write, and I still get ideas that will come to me that I just think I really desperately want to write and I want to tell that, I want to tell that story and I want to kind of spend time with those characters that I'm going to be inventing. Um, yeah, that's why I think I, I, people say to me kind of, oh, when you retire, and I think, well, I'll never, I'll only retire when I can't, basically my brain doesn't work anymore and my fingers don't work anymore. <laughs> Even if people have completely lost interest by then, I, I imagine I'll always be doing this. I'll be found dead slumped over my keyboard, <laughs> hopefully in my 90s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the writing's with the fun part, and... isn't it, I suppose? Although yeah. it can be difficult, but it's it's yeah. all the other stuff that goes with it that is the... Is, yeah, it can be. I mean, the it's... But then, but then there are other parts of being a writer that are fantastic. So um, I've just got back from Thriller Fest in New York, the perks of being able to go and do things like that, to be able to go to New York and talk to other writers as a peer or go to the Harrogate Crime Festival or um, or even being invited onto things like this, like talking on podcasts. I really enjoy it. Mean, this is obviously the and, peak, and you've I enjoy that. Out. And I enjoy kind of <laughs> chatting with my readers on, on, on social media and, and doing live streams and going doing events and signing books and I, I love all of that all of that side of things having marketing meetings and looking at prospective book covers and yeah I, I mean the most most of the most of being a writer is is a joyous thing it's just when you're waiting for news that's the horrible part and 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 you mentioned there that you you know um you when you were on your path in you kind of you did the documentary your agent couldn't sell stuff and 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 moved on from you and am i right in saying that you then kind of pressed pause for about 12 years and you said you know what? i'm not going to write anything i've 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 tried my best but i'm just going to stop it i mean yeah, is that wasn't right that so was that, that must, wasn't that oh, it was not that long i mean how it long wasn't was it 12 it wasn't 12 years it was a it was about um four or five years okay so what um, happened was that a hard decision I was well it wasn't at the time because I was just worn out I was absolutely kind of exhausted by the whole process of years of trying to get something published and I was going through a few life changes at the time so um I had just started like having children um but more importantly I'd actually got a good job a good day job <laughs> Um, so I spent my twenties doing customer services basically because I wanted to do a job that I didn't have to take home with me so that I could spend all of my kind of home, my creative energies at home on writing. So I had a day job where I just down tools at 5pm and go home and I didn't even have to think about it and I didn't have to work at weekends or anything. 
Yeah. And then I spent a year working in Japan as an English teacher, and I was still writing then um, with Louise because we were we were writing a novel together, kind of emailing it back and forth. Um, and then when I came back to the UK, I was in my thirties by this point. And I thought, well, I'd better actually get a proper a proper job and actually try and build a, a career if this writing thing isn't going to happen. So I started working in marketing in London, um, online marketing, and I got promoted quite quickly and I kept getting promoted. And um, and this was the kind of job basically where you get up in the morning and you start thinking about your job and you go home and you, you're answering emails mm-hmm. and your mm-hmm. boss is ringing you at nine o'clock with questions and jobs that they want you to do it was a kind of all-consuming yeah job so the create so that took up all my creative energy and I also got um fulfillment from doing it as well because it was fun and um and actually I was getting rewarded for doing it I was getting praise and I was getting promotions and pay rises and and um and actually seeing the results of what I was doing like every day. So it kind of fulfilled that need in me that I suppose I'd wanted from the writing, but that I'd never got. And so, yeah, I just kind of thought, well, I'm going to concentrate on this from now on and, and, and build my, my career. Um, and then Amazon, when I launched the Kindle and KDP, <laughs> And suddenly I saw an opportunity and um and that's what that's what we did. So Louise and I had written two books together by this point and we hadn't managed to get get them published. Even though one of them actually been optioned by BBC Drama. Oh. And it it never so so although we couldn't get a publisher for it, we got it optioned and got a little bit of money for that. And they hired a scriptwriter and and um as most TV things do, it fell through and never got made. But we had these two books, which we thought were really good, actually. Um, we were really proud of them. And I said to Louise, well, why don't we put these up on this new this new fancy thing called Kindle Direct Publishing? And and you never know, we might sell a few and it might attract the it, the attention of some, some publishers. Mm-hmm. And this is like early days then. It's, like it's literally brand new in the scene type of thing. It was brand new in the UK, as far as I remember. It had been going in the US for a year or two, and I so I was reading some stories about authors who'd had success. Some of them, some of them, um, well, there was a guy called John Locke, I think, who'd sold a million books. Well, he went on to sell a million books, and there was all these people writing kind of like vampire novels and. Yeah. They've all, most of them have disappeared now. Joe Conrath was one of them. There's, there's these people who are kind of like big names at the time. And some some who are still around, like Blake Crouch, has gone on to like big things. Yeah. 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 Um, but we were the first, and Stephen Leather was doing it as well. I know he's a very controversial figure in the publishing world, but he was traditionally published, but he was also doing self-publishing on the side and, and having a lot of success with it. And I thought, well, why don't we give it a go? And to cut a very long story short, we did we did really well, and we sold like tens of thousands of of our books and got to number one. And we were the first kind of fully indie authors in the UK 
to get to number one. And that then led to us getting an agent. And very quickly, I think within a week of him sending the books out, we had a publisher. We had a deal with Harper Collins. Wow. So it was a whirlwind summer. Very, very exciting. Yeah. The summer of 2011 from having years and years and years of failure and rejection. Suddenly we were number one in the, on Amazon and number two, because we, we basically took over the top two spots in the Kindle charts, <laughs> stayed there for about a month. We, we were on all the, like, we were on the news, we we're on BBC Breakfast, we we're on Sky News, we we're in all the newspapers, wanted to interview us. Um, we we're getting all this attention. We had agents approaching us. We it was just amazing. <laughs> it was just what so an exciting. Turnaround, yeah, from as you say, from all yeah, the time, nothing after... to suddenly everything at once. Yeah, and I mean I will never ever forget that moment when because Catch Your Death, which was the second book we'd released, was sitting at number two on Amazon. I mean, first of all, I'll never forget the day when it kind of shot up the charts from nowhere to the top 10. It happened really fast. Suddenly the sales took off. And then it was number two. And I was sitting there on Amazon hitting refresh. <laughs> as you, do. I mean, I still do that now. <laughs> <laughs> and it, And the chart changed and it went up to number one. I was like... I was sitting at work, not doing my day job, hitting refresh, and I was so excited. And I rang the wheeze, and we were kind of whooping with, with joy that we were number one. It's one of the greatest moments of my life. It was just so exciting, and it was it was great. So, I suppose that you, you you could share that with with Louise as well. You know, because often it is a yeah it was, solitary it was lovely, thing. But, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was saying this to somebody the other day when they were asking me about the pros and cons of co-writing. And apart from kind of having somebody to share the work with, it's the fact that you've got somebody who cares as much as you do. Because mm. no matter how much your partner or your spouse or your your friends or whoever care, nobody will ever care as much as you <laughs> about <laughs> how how your books perform or what the reviews are like or or whatever so yeah having somebody to share it with and because we've been friends for so long and we've been writing together for so long yeah it was great it was really it was a really nice moment and and did you do anything to cause it to have this you know stratospheric rise in the charts did you market it or anything like that or yeah well i mean was it just the early days that, that you know the sort of time well, we didn't yeah right. we didn't we didn't just put it there and kind of and sit back we i was working like really hard to try and make these books sell i mean i would say on top of my day job i was doing two or three hours a day doing everything that i could in obsessively to try and to try and let people know about the existence of these books and that was everything from like doing blogs doing guest posts on other people's blogs there were lots of forums around at that time where you could go and promote self-published books, um, Facebook groups, um, just everything, everything that I could think of. Um, we did it. I constantly rewriting the, the description as well, like the product description and trying mm-hmm. to tweak it. Um, befriending other indie authors, like networking and, 
and trying to get reviews and just yeah just doing everything that i could think of to try and to try and um reach readers and it worked because what happened was that slowly people bought the first book kind of slowly and it and it climbed the charts gradually and then when the second book came out like three months later enough people had bought the first book by that point that when I, when Amazon sent out an email, an automatic email to say there's a new Boss and Edwards book out, enough of those people bought it in one go, in like in one day, to send that book flying up the charts, and then it stuck. That was the kind of miraculous thing because usually when Amazon sends out an email, the book kind of goes up and then it drops straight yeah. back down again. But they stuck, and I think that the fact that they were, I mean. There was a lot of terrible self-published stuff being put out at the time, I have to say. <laughs> and I think the fact that our books were really good and they were very professionally, they looked they looked very professional and and we were very good at writing blurbs and things and and being innovative. Um that yeah, they they stuck around. So also I mean, I'd been working in marketing, digital marketing for years by this point as well. So I kind of was able to use some of my my um skills that I'd learned from there. And and uh, once you, you you signed the book deal with HarperCollins, they republished those two books and give you two more yes. books. And and I wondered how did you find the process working with a publisher compared to working with the with the Kindle store? Well, I mean to be honest it was frustrating because the the whole experience is purely coloured by the commercial performance of those books. So if they'd gone on to sell huge numbers, then I I my story from them would be very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened was that they they did they did manage to get Catch Your Death into W. H. Smith Travel, and I think it was in ASDA quite briefly and in Tesco. But for some reason, it just didn't didn't take off like it didn't sell um and we had kind of taken our foot off the gas a little bit in terms of the marketing because i think that we thought that the publisher is going to kind of take over and do do all of that we can just get on with writing the next books we didn't get the balance right so with the self-published books we were doing like all the marketing yeah. not really doing any writing and then we switched completely to doing lots of writing and no marketing or very little. We were doing like some social media and we would do like interviews and stuff. But but yeah, it was just so disappointing. I mean, the experience of working with the editor and the and the designers and going in for meetings at HarperCollins and uh, was great. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I I've gotten really really well with my editor, and um, I like being edited. I, that's one of the reasons why I don't really like being self published. Is that I, I I enjoy that um, that process of writing a draft or a few drafts and then going through the whole structural edit yeah. process, which I'm actually doing at the moment. Um, but yeah, it was it was just com- it was just commercially disappointing, not just for us but for everybody because I think they did really try to sell them, but they just. Just sometimes these things happen that they didn't they didn't take off. Had you worked um, with an editor 
when you self-published? No, because we just used to edit them ourselves because mm-hmm. we were constantly like sending chapters backwards and forward. We would we would edit each other's work. Um, so I think they were quite. They didn't need that much editing when they they would they would they went through a little bit of a tweak and the ones that had been previously self published and then the next books the yeah. brand new ones went through the whole yeah through the whole process but again because the reason I'd done so much work on them together we they weren't like particularly heavy heavy edits unlike some of my solo books which have followed <laughs> where I've had like terrible terrible months of pain editing books but um yeah it's so so it was only a kind of commercial reason that I then went back to self-publish the magpies which was the one that I had had sitting in my my in fact it was sitting in my my wife who was my then girlfriend's gmail inbox i think that was the only copy of it in existence oh, well wow. i'd emailed it to her at one point <laughs> she hadn't even read it and <laughs> and i was like you know that novel that i wrote like years ago do you still have it and she found it kind of thousands of emails deep in her inbox thank i mean i think i had it on paper somewhere in the loft but it would have been a real pain yeah. to to transcribe it all and and so I then went so Louise then helped me edit that book and update it as did my wife um they both read it and made lots of notes and I and I made some changes to it and then I put it out using something called white glove which I don't even know if it exists anymore but Amazon used to have this program where you could self-publish through if you had an agent it was like assisted self-publishing right so um you would your agent would basically send it to them and they would do all of the formatting and all of the kind of technical stuff I still had to design the cover Mm -hmm. or find somebody to design the cover and write the blurb and choose all the kind of meta tags and all of that stuff but then they they put it up there and then they said we will send out an email to promote it or one or two emails so um actually what happened was it took two or three weeks where i thought this isn't going to work it's not selling and then suddenly it shot up the charts and i think it's because the email that they had they had promised went out right and again, the mag like Catch Your Death before it, the magpies went up the charts and stuck and it kept climbing. It just kept climbing like one or two positions every day until it, again it got to number one. And it was that was another amazing moment of like having been through a year of thinking my career was over already after having all this kind of success self-published, then having a really awful year in 2012 where it wasn't just career kind of went went badly but literally everything in my life went wrong in 2012 it was my anus horribleism it was all terrible and then and I was so broke so completely broke and because I'd left my day job I'd moved to Wolverhampton (laughs) I'm not saying that was one of the terrible things but, but I I'd moved here because um my wife's from here 
and I wanted to be able to give up my day job and, and give the writing a, like a real go as full time. And it was much cheaper to live here and, and we'd have babysitters and so on as well. So, yeah, I I just had this awful year. I had loads of health issues and things as well. It was just, I think, probably caused by the stress. And, um, yeah, just amazingly, the magpies turned everything around for me, like around, it was Easter 2013. And it's, I mean, I my aim was if I could sell 20,000 copies, I would basically kind of get out of debt and keep my managed to keep my head above water for a little while and it sold like six hundred thousand copies or something Jeez, now that's incredible I mean, and it yeah i mean what, just, it's have, so, basically saved my life that book i mean i have to ask what is going on here because you you know you've had this great success with success with louise with catch your death then you go to the trister mm. publishers and it kind of goes haywire and then you go back to doing it yourself and it goes skyrockets again you know what what is it that you're doing that Harper Collins aren't. I find that's fascinating. I really don't know. I mean, I think that, I think possibly the fact they were trying to remarket books that had already sold, there mm-hmm. were a little bit, look, people had seen them already. Mm-hmm. And so the kind of ebook sales, maybe the, the it's, it's much harder to relaunch something, I think, than to launch something new. Yeah. Um, and we were kind of we were the first of this wave of people who were who self published and then went over to traditional publishing, so it was all a bit experimental. And I think also that I mean these days the traditional publishers are so much better at digital digital publishing um, than they were ten or eleven years ago. Mm-hmm. So it was all it was all brand new. It was like the wild west, and um, so. I think having having the kind of freedom to to do everything yourself, and it was very competitively priced as well. Like I put it out at ninety nine p, and um, and I again I was like able to kind of tweak the description and and um, and try try everything that I could think of to try and get people to know that it was out there. Um, that that all that all helped helped a lot and then when the magpies was sort of flying high in the charts pun intended (laughs) (laughs) thomas and mercer came along um thomas mercer is part of amazon publishing as you know and um they made me an offer for a two-book deal they were going. They wanted to republish the Magpies, and for me to then write another book. And this time, because I thought, well, Amazon Publishing know how to sell eBooks, mm. and they've got these enormous email marketing lists, and they know pretty much the behaviour of everybody who's ever bought an eBook on Amazon and what people do on their Kindles and so on. Then it felt like a much safer, yeah, place. To, to to be as somebody who was mainly known for, for selling digitally yeah and it worked it worked out <laughs> yeah i think so, it's to see that I've been, I've, yeah i've now been with them for what 10 11 years and um have published 
Well, two more with Louise with them. And then I think I've done 13 solo books with them as well, plus a couple of novellas. And they've sold 4 million copies. And um, most of them have got to number one in the UK. A couple of them did really well in America as well. And yeah, so I've been doing it full time now for, yes, for 10 years, 10 years. Amazing. And it is, it's, a, it's a great story in a way. I'm sure it didn't feel like that at point. But you know, <laughs> the, the, the showing the persistence yeah. of it, the, you yeah. know, the ups and downs uh, can be quite extreme. Yeah, well, it's one of, it, yeah, it's one of these stories where the kind of telling of it is very much dictated by the ending. Yes, I mean, yeah. when I say ending, I still I don't feel like I've reached the ending yet. For the mid, I feel like I'm at the midpoint, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But from the position that I'm in now, and it's still, I mean, you still have ups and downs, like some books do better than others. Um, and it's not just, I'm not sitting sitting around on like some kind of mounting of cash, which means I can just keep going. I'm still having to work really hard and write a book every nine months to kind of keep, to keep being able to make a living doing it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's obviously, I'm in, in, in a much, much better position than I was 10 or 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's still, it's still hard work and it's still having to keep those books coming and keeping people uh, reminded that that you exist yeah and i think that's much harder in a way with ebooks than it is with kind of print books and and authors who mainly sell through bookshops because people i think it's people who read on kindle i think are much more fickle and often don't even remember the name of the book that they've read let alone the name of the author so trying to engage that audience and keep the audience engaged, I yeah. think it's tough. Do, do you do you get a because obviously we've we've spoken with other guests about the sort of snobbery that there there certainly was and I think still is to an extent of between trad publishing and self publishing. But to, is there even that sort of divide between what is trad publishing with Thomas and Mercer, but the fact that it's mm. it's slightly different Digital because it's done first, by amazon yeah. and stuff like that is there is there still that divide there that that you know that affects how people view it in a way um i think as far as as far as the public are concerned i don't think people really really care i don't think anybody has ever said to me well, in the last five or six years has said to me oh you're not like a you're not like a proper author (laughs) but what happened but sometimes um in the past and it's much better now than it used to be there would be things like i would do a festival or something and the bookseller would be reluctant to stock the books because they were published Mm -hmm. amazon um which you can understand because amazon and like their big their kind of big rival um or um it would be very unusual for a um, an Amazon published author to get shortlisted for one of the big crime prizes, for example. I think it might have happened once or twice, but it's very rare. Uh, I'm not saying I deserve to be nominated for any of these prizes, <laughs> but, but the, of, of all have all of us, you would think that it would happen a bit more often than it does. And in America, it's completely different. So when I went to Thriller Fest last month. 
um i was up for one of the thriller fest one of the itw awards there as were lots of other amazon authors yeah. so i think that um i don't know whether snobbery is the right word but it's like a different ecosystem it's a little bit like you know like back in the day you'd have aol and then you'd have the rest of the internet <laughs> it's a little bit like that so being yeah. an amazon author is a little bit like being in the walled garden of aol <laughs> Which is, like, I mean, that was when you used to buy those little, you'd get like a disc that's full of magazines. It was like yeah, 60 minutes of EOL. Yeah. And I was always like, what, 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 <laughs> what, what, 60 minutes of what? <laughs> you still occasionally find people who've got AOL.com email addresses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My wife has one still. It's, yeah, it's a little bit like, um, yeah, like that, like being in a, in a different, a different system rather than a kind of low a lower system or a it's like a parallel universe in a way but but, but does but, it is it is it is it the same as i suppose you've sort of already covered this but you know name recognition is that more difficult in ter- because people aren't going into a bookshop and seeing your name everywhere in the same way that they would with i don't know a, um a big five publisher or something like that i i think i think it might be I feel like I've been around now for so long and I kind of have been to to so many festivals and have done so many events and and um, my books. I mean, the first five or six years, I never had a magazine review or anything, would never yeah. have a review in, a, in, a, in any kind of media. But I've, I've got all of that now. It's just been a slow process of kind of mm-hmm. chip away, chipping away at it and having publicists do that. Personally, I feel like I am now a name a name author that people recognise. Um, but I think that it's maybe for a new author, and it it might take longer to kind of get that to get that recognition and to get that kind of brand that brand name outside of the kind of ecoverse, the Amazon ecoverse. Yeah. Um. But then you also see lots of brand authors being published by Thomas Mercer now. So Dean Koontz, for example, is mm. is a Thomas Mercer author. Um, and I know lots of people who've signed with them, like Claire McGowan, for example, who's doing incredibly well. Um, Susie Holiday. There are, there are lots of us now who've kind of been around on the scene for a long time who um, who've gone over to Amazon. And um, so, yeah, I feel like um, I feel like the the barriers have come down a lot. And um, I know that I'm not going to walk into soup into Sainsbury's and see my books on the shelf. Um, And most um, Waterstones don't have them, but my local Waterstones has them. And um, and whenever I do an event, so like I did an event with Mark Billingham last week in Birmingham, and it was an indie bookshop and they they got the books in and and they sold really well and it was and it was great and it was it's i i mean it's lovely to kind of work with indie bookshops yeah and uh, and to see my books on the shelves in in those places and uh, and you said that you're pretty much putting out a book every nine months at the, at the moment which is a yeah. you know, incredible rate and i have to ask what's your process you know do you plan stuff in advance do you pants it how often do you sit down and write every day what's your routine um so i write monday to friday generally during the school hours Mm -hmm. 
although now my kids are a bit older i i also work when they're at home um it used to be that they would get home at half three and it would just be such chaos that i yeah. had to do any work <laughs> but it's much easier now than it was they'll just go to their rooms and get their ipads out and... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. on the xbox and nice and quiet is it yeah I should say, oh, they'll go. They'll go into the garden and do lots of healthy <laughs> activities. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so and I aim for two thousand words a day. That's my my. Um, I I feel satisfied if I manage to hit that word count every day. And I generally am a pantser, but I have tried recently to become more of a plotter. Um, but I'm, I always veer wildly away from, from the outline, but my editor almost fell over when I, when I sent them an outline recently, the book <laughs> that hadn't started yet. I think that's the first time that ever happened. I'd actually plotted out a book before I'd started it, but this is the book that I'm doing the structural edits on now. The end result is vastly different to the to that nicely plotted out. I mean, even the motivation of the killer and who done it and all that kind of stuff has changed. Do you find that your your first drafts are often very different than your final drafts? Like, is this planning yeah. you've done? Is this is this almost like a first draft in kind of truncated form? Maybe. Yeah, I I I am a very inefficient writer. <laughs> I will write hundreds and hundreds of thousands of words to get a final ninety thousand word book. Probably for every word that ends up in the book, I throw two away. So um, I will write lots of drafts of my books, often right up until the last second. I'll be changing the ending, rewriting the last chapter, um, coming up with a new twist, which entails having to rewrite the, the whole book. <laughs> so it's incredibly stressful. It's It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is the bit that i really enjoy i find the first draft enjoyable in a way kind of the the kind of finding the story and coming up with the characters and kind of writing those those scenes for the first time but the actual the bit where you have got to the point where you're ready to send it to your editor and then they come back with all the notes and then you've got to solve all those problems that the the challenge of doing that and having the words on the page already so having something to work with even if i'm deleting lots and rewriting i just find i find that really really satisfying um and it it possibly in a slightly masochistic way i yeah i i really enjoy it I, I mean, I kind of sometimes the the bits that are harder when you get stuck and you can't solve a problem and you're you've got all these different plot threads that aren't coming together mm-hmm. and you need to make something happen and you just can't think of how to get there. And there have been one or two books, maybe maybe more than that, definitely more than that, where I've been <laughs> almost kind of banging my head on the floor like rolling around in a kind of like an injured footballer (laughs) (laughs) clutching myself in agony 
But do, well, do, you, do you, in in a situation like that, would you get in some in touch with someone like Louise and and try and talk it through and try and work your way through the plot? In that I have. Way? Well, I do have a few friends, other writer friends, who who will help me. It's generally my poor wife, though. <laughs> she because she works from home as well, so she's always around. <laughs> so I will go and find her. She'll be hiding. <laughs> <laughs> she hears you. Hears the ruling around. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, and then I'll go and say, "I just need to. Can I just talk through this problem with you?" And <laughs> um, often, what will happen is that I just need to talk. I just need to hear hear myself yeah. speaking. And by the time I've kind of got to the end of my monologue, I've worked out the, the solution to the problem. Other times, she does actually help me come up with the solution. Oh, she's really good and then i'll be client taking credit for something like two years later and she'll be like hang on that was my idea <laughs> <laughs> are you sure <laughs> and well, the other it... the other thing that i find really helps is just going for a walk with a dog mm-hmm. um just just don't listen to podcasts because um listening to somebody else speaking or telling a story in your ears is just distracting just going for a walk with some music music on or just silence uh-huh. um usually by the time i get home i've figured out the the solution to the problem so yeah my wife and my dog are my most kind of trusted useful allies in this whole process the cat's no help at all <laughs> <laughs> Um, so your latest book is is keep her secret do, do you want to tell us about that yes yeah, so this one is after th- i wrote three books set in america and now i've come back to setting them in the uk and it's a domestic suspense novel which is the kind of subgenre that i started out with and it's about this couple who have got back together after a 20-year trial separation <laughs> they were they were like college sweethearts then they broke up they haven't seen each other for 20 years and then they meet up at a, at a reunion and they kind of very quickly kind of fall back in love and just a week or two into their new relationship they go on a trip to Iceland and go up this mountain they hike up this mountain and she's trying to get the perfect photograph and she basically steps too close to the edge of the cliff and and falls over the edge so chapter one ends with a literal cliffhanger (laughs) (laughs) and what happens next is that her backpack hooks on a rock and she's she's saved by this rock. This actually really happened to somebody that I know. Oh, really? That's what influenced the that's what influenced the story or inspired the story. Um, and while she's hanging there, thinking she's going to die, she she blurts out that she's that she deserves it. She deserves to die because of something that she did. And when she's rescued, I mean, this all happens right at the start of the book, so it's not really spoilers. When she's rescued. She then tells her new partner, who's the main character, what she did, like what her secret is. But what they don't realise is that somebody is is eavesdropping and then that person turns up intending to blackmail them and everything kind of 
gets very dark from that point on and they they make mistake after mistake and dig themselves into a deeper and deeper hole as they're trying to as keep the keep her secret keep the secret of the title and um and get to a point where they can kind of get on with their lives so yeah it was really good fun to write it was it was one of the most entertaining for me because i love writing books about people who are in agony and going through terrible things and everything is going wrong and 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 the main character kind of spends most of the book in a state of panic trying to figure out how he's going to get out of this terrible situation so is the is the secret the same secret that that your friend had that she blurted out she she was actually on her own she was oh, hiking God. in new zealand and in the mountains of new zealand completely on her own and she fell into a i think she said it was a snow hole and um what's, what's a snow hole it's like i guess a hole that's covered with snow so you don't oh, right, you just can't see it so... and then you kind of just fall through like a trap jeez and um she would have been trapped in this hole with nobody else around and she could have been she might have died down there she could have been there for days but her backpack saved her and she managed to haul herself out came home quite shaken and and told this story and as soon as i heard this story i thought well that's got to be a great (laughs) to a book but then i didn't want i wanted to be somewhere nearer the uk so i moved it i went to Iceland noir a few years ago and i thought this is the perfect setting for this book for the for the opening chapters of this book anyway I didn't actually tell her that I was writing this book based on her story until I finished it. And then I was like, oh, is it okay if I use this story? <laughs> you can't say no. <laughs> Luckily, she was fine about it. I mean, there wouldn't have been anything she could do about it because I think that people's stories are fair game. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, is, and legally, it, I don't know how, how true that is, but I feel like it's... I think it's fine. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. But, I mean... It, uh, is that how you get your ideas for stories that other you know st- news stories or stories you hear from people or is it a mix of different things it's yeah it's a mix i mean i mean the one that always comes to mind was one of my books called the lucky ones which is about a serial killer who tries to make people's lives good before he kills them tries to make people happy before he kills them it's quite nice that yeah it's a a pleasant little book (laughs) it's actually one of my favorites um that came from overhearing a conversation in a cafe between these two women who were basically laying into this other woman that he wasn't there they were they were gossiping about her and saying how horrible she was and how they kind of wished that she that she didn't work with them and i thought well what if a serial killer a kind of benevolent serial killer was listening in thinking, oh, I'm going to do them a favour and do away with this, this person that they don't like. So I came up, yeah, that that kind of turned into the idea of a of a, a psychopath who thinks he's kind of helping people. So he does all this. So all this stuff that seems to be going right in your life is actually the kind of, um, it's the manoeuvres of this this sort of twisted guardian angel so yeah, that came from an overheard conversation. And I remember tweeting about it and Steve Kavanaugh replied saying, oh, that's a great idea for a book. And then we had a little conversation about it. And then I, I stored it in my brain for a couple of years before thinking, oh yeah, I can do something with that. Mm. So so yeah, but otherwise otherwise they 
they could just come from out of nowhere or it could be a news story like you said or it could be something that actually happened to me so like the magpies was based on the fact that i actually had neighbors from hell and um follow your home which is the one about a couple who get kicked off a train in the middle of romania was based on a based on the fact that i um got robbed gassed (laughs) and robbed on a train in france you got gassed well that's what they that's what we think happened was that these bandits i love the word bandits (laughs) mexican bandits on horseback they had their scarf yeah exactly yeah they they were um pumping sleeping gas into trains in france this was in the 90s the early 90s knocking people out and then going through the trains and stealing all their possessions. Now, this might be one of those apocryphal urban legends, but when I did a talk in a prison a few years ago and I told this story, these guys go, going, yeah, yeah, we used to do things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, it's so, yeah, to watch. It, was, um, it, was, uh, it was one of those experiences that happened to me when I was like 19 or 20, and then years later when my editor said to me, has any... Any other terrible things that have happened to you that you can turn into a book? <laughs> hmm. Actually, started. A, a yeah. talk in a prison probably is a good place to get some inspiration if you if you chat with your audience. Yeah, with the yeah. yeah, it was actually one of the best author events I've ever done in this prison. They were such great readers and so um, they just came up with such brilliant comments and questions and um, yeah, it was fantastic. Brilliant. So well, I recommend that if you ever get the opportunity to go into a prison and do a talk to a to a group, then yeah, seize it because it's really really interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's 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 very cool. Um, mm. So so what's next then? You've got you've got a keeper secret, which is is it just out? Is out? Yeah, that, that came out in at the end of May. That's right. Okay. So that's What's your next? Have you, I think you've got your next one or two kind of locked in. Have you got more ideas after that? So the next one is is I'm editing at the moment. Um, we don't have a confirmed title for that yet. I think we have a title, but it's not 100% confirmed. So I won't say what it is in case it changes. Okay. That's a crime novel set in the in the Lake District. Um, it starts with somebody buried on being left buried on a beach. Um, oh, and left to drown as the tide comes in and they find the body on the beach. So nice, nice, cheery little uh, opening to that one. Um, And then I've got to write another book by January and I haven't even started making notes for it yet. So we're now, what, at the end of June? I've got six months to write it. Is that like a night? Is that a normal time for you? Is that quite normal or is it going to be a bit tight? it's it's doable usually it takes me between six to nine months plus edits so but i usually take off the school holidays so the summer holidays so i'm actually going to have to work through the summer holidays this year Mm -hmm. so that's going to be the challenge is that first kind of six or seven weeks yeah of the kids coming and saying I've lost my Minecraft password <laughs> spending three hours trying to find, find that or having to take them out on some kind of educational road trip <laughs> and not just letting them sit around yeah. 
um, look, being looked after by Mr. Nintendo all day. <laughs> I mean, yeah, would you so ever, that's going to be fun. Would you ever want to go back to try and write in comics, or since that was your starting oh, point? God. I never, I never really thought about that. I, I, I do still like graphic novels. Um, I mean, I have to say, I wasn't an artist by any stretch of the imagination. My my illustrations were were about as basic as they were almost stick people. They were very basic. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would definitely be interested in doing that. I'd love to see one of my novels kind of adapted into a yeah into a graphic novel. That'd be really good fun. Um, I know they did that with the girl and the dragon tattoo, and I've seen it with a yeah. few others. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would be smart. good. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, I still my main ambition that hasn't been fulfilled is that is a film or TV adaptation, and I've come close a couple of times, but it hasn't quite hasn't quite happened yet. So, would you want to write the script, or would you be happy to? let someone else handle that i'd be very happy to let someone else do it it's one of these things that every few years i think or oh, maybe i should try my hand at screenwriting but it's such a new skill i'd have to learn and finding the time for it would be so difficult and and everything that i hear about screenwriting just sounds nightmarish but <laughs> you can you could make a living writing things that never get made yeah, yeah absolutely yeah so true. i'm a big brett easton ellis fan he's like one of my favorite writers and i listened to his podcast and he basically spent 13 years not writing novels which is what he's best at which, which is what i wanted to be doing writing scripts and getting paid and nothing ever got made and i just think how could you spend all those years doing all of that work and have nothing to show for it at the end yeah. of it apart yeah. from the, the like the scripts that you're constantly being asked to rewrite it's yeah so that that completely puts me off ever wanting to do that what was the last book that you read Oh, it was a really, really good one, actually. It was called The Guest by Emma Klein. Um, she wrote The Girls, which was about the man oh, yeah. family a few years ago. And this is her new one. And it's about this young woman who, I mean, I guess you would call her a sex worker. She's It's kind of like a girlfriend experience type thing where she goes, she lives with this guy who basically supports her. And then he, on Long Island, in this big fancy house like surrounded by rich people and he kicks her out and she's got nowhere to go like her ex she owes her ex-boyfriend loads of money and he's after her and so she spent the whole book is her kind of wandering around long island kind of meeting people and just causing havoc mm. um with the intention that she's going to try and get back with this guy that she was with at the start of the book she's addicted to painkillers and it's it's really tense like it's there's no murders or anything it's not like a thriller in a traditional sense but it's so tense because you you've got this kind of tension about what is she going to do is the ex-boyfriend going to find her how is she going to survive and i just oh my god i absolutely loved it absolutely i was so absorbed by it fantastic oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, highly recommended. Last, what was the name of it again? The guest. The guest. 
Um, and what was the last film that you watched? Um, the last film that I watched was a really horrific hot social horror film. You're a big horror film fan, aren't you? Yeah, I love horror. It was called Soft and Quiet. Um, and it's all filmed in one, like, 90-minute, I don't think it was done in one take, but it's done in real time. So it it, it starts. Oh, yeah, yeah. You just get the whole 90 minutes. Yeah, a lot of it, tension off that right there. I can see. Yeah. And it's about a group of um, basically killer Karens, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> it's about these women, these white women who get together and... They're, they're kind of having a meeting as they baked pies and then you think it's going to be like some kind of nice meeting that they're having and they turn out to be neo-nazis and then um they do something i mean i'm kind of laughing about it but it is really horrible like two people i know who watched it were like either had to turn it off or almost threw up because they were so <laughs> upset by it because it was so awful <laughs> i made it to the end i mean it's a very powerful film um but it's not the kind of film you'd want to watch with your gran. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, I would, I mean, if you've got a strong stomach for horror and for violence and for people doing horrible things to each other, then it's, you, you'd like it. I'd recommend oh, okay. Okay. If I you're, do, do if you're sensitive. Films, yeah. But I mean, it, yeah, it kind of tackles um, racism and, and kind of just like the rise of, I don't know, just a lot of the stuff that people have been talking about over the last few years in America in particular with like the the Donald Trump and so on. It's, yeah, it's very, very powerful because of the way it tackles these issues. So, nice. yeah. Cool. Uh, and what about the last TV show that you watched or are watching? Well, I just finished watching the new series of Black Mirror. Okay. Oh, cool. is it good? It's yeah. I mean that. I mean he's gone. He's gone horror in that as well. I mean, he seems to have. When I say he, Charlie Brooker seems to have kind of gone away from the trying to predict the future and and all the stories being about technology. At least three of them, I would say, are horror, like mini horror movies. Um, and there's kind of one that's one that's about about netflix really which is quite strange it's very kind of meta yeah, that's cool. but yeah they're good they're very they're good especially um the last one which is called demon 79 oh, which yeah, is filmed like a retro horror movie which is right up my street that's cool. <laughs> i have to give that a watch because i think i've, I've, I've really gone to them and then when netflix started doing them i kind of started to binge them and then i was like actually mm. you watch two back to back and you think i just feel like i just hate myself and it was just so depressing and i was like i can't i can't put me off a little bit but i'm quite yeah. excited again after a few years away from it they are quite dark they're quite but they, they've got that they've got that well that dark humor in them mm -hmm. yeah that makes them um i mean i've been a big fan of charlie brooker for years i loved that big brother zombie show mm. that he did have you seen that dead yeah. set Oh, I've heard of it. I've never seen it though. Oh, like, I think that's on Netflix. It's amazing. If you like, if you used to like Big Brother, yeah, <laughs> it's fantastic. Davina McCall's in it as a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, 
the very very last thing we always do is a is a super quick fire either or and I always say there's no right answers here apart from one. Uh, but we'll start off. I know you're a you're a fan of Donna Tart and Brett Easton Ellis, so mm. we'll start off with um the Goldfinch or American Psycho. American Psycho. Okay. The little friend or American Psycho. <laughs> yeah, no, what, 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 yeah, why? Okay, why? Well, I mean I love the Goldfinch as well. But American Psycho I've probably read five or six times and I skip Apart from the first time I read it, I now skip the really violent mm. scenes when I reread it. I just think it's so clever and so funny. And it's such a brilliant satire on the 80s and early 90s. I mean, I actually think it's a work of genius. I think it's one of the most clever books that I've ever read. What about um, if, it was, if it was The Secret History or American Psycho? The Secret History would oh, win. Yeah, yeah. The Secret History will always win okay. competition. <laughs> you put it up, if you put it up against my favourite film, my favourite album, my favourite everything, <laughs> The Secret History would win. Because <laughs> I just think that's the perfect novel. Yeah, but American cool. Psycho is in my top five novels, definitely. Nice. Uh, TV or cinema? well i mean this is that's really hard because i love going to cinema i've got a cine world pass and i go as often as i can and i'll go to like matinees during the day um and often my reward for myself for finishing a draft or something will be to go to the cinema um but i spend a lot of time watching tv i mean if i had to choose i would rather go to the cinema so i'll go with cinema (laughs) Uh, night owl or early bird oh night owl definitely um although having said that as i get older <laughs> it's, it's changing a little bit i start to kind of i can't i used to just be able to stay up till one or two and not feel tired at all yeah and um and actually feel my most awake at night so it's shifting a little bit. But yeah, naturally, I would say I'm a night owl. Uh, and music or no music when you're writing? Music, yeah. I have a turntable here on my desk, oh, cool. which you can't see. So I listen to vinyl a lot, and I collect vinyl. And I'm one of those people who who spends huge amounts of money on limited edition <laughs> records and and goes gets up at 3am to go to record store day and buy Taylor Swift albums. <laughs> and I can, yeah, I can listen to anything really apart from hip hop or rap when I'm writing because, or spoken word I wouldn't be able to listen to. Anything, anything yeah. where there's actual singing or vocals mm. is fine. Um, and the last one here, the most important one for me, uh, real book or ebook? Oh, well, I'm going to give you two answers for that as well. So I like, I actually prefer the experience of reading ebooks. Okay. But I like having real books for the shelves. Mm-hmm. But if you had to come down on the side of one. <laughs> if I could only read one again, I'd probably read for the actual reading experience, oh, I would no. get the ebooks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I actually find reading on my kindle um 
just and this is this is for a very sad reason is that my eyesight is a bit crap <laughs> so that i find reading on the kindle much easier more pleasurable than than kind of having to get good light and squint at a squint at a real book and i think this is something publishers don't realize is that so many readers are middle-aged with failing <laughs> eyesight <laughs> that um and the, the print's too small in a lot of books and uh and that's why the big adopters of kindles are middle-aged people mm-hmm. yeah. young people point. read print books and middle-aged people tend to read kindles because they can make the font bigger yeah and it's a it's a that's yeah it's the amazon figured that out it's a practical reason for people to go over to ebooks cool yeah I like that i've been trying to we always ask that question and very few people ever pick ebooks so Okay. Five of us now. I know. I know a lot of people, a lot of writers who only read ebooks now. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Do you read ebooks? Then are you an yeah, e-book? Yeah. I mean, I I do like both, and I, I've mm. kind of adopted this persona of an ebook fan on the, on the podcast. But so I have. To, I, I it's the hill that I die on every episode, and I, I die you pretty much by die. myself every yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, what happens is that I will look at them. And it's like if it's ten ninety nine for a Kindle book, yeah, or yeah, it feels, like it feels twelve pounds for a hardback. You're like, oh, it feels like the hardback you get more feels for so your money much. Almost, aren't you, if you're yeah, that kind of cash. I know, I know. And then, and then I might buy the hardback, and it will, and the print will be so tiny that I'll end up buying the ebook as well. <laughs> <laughs> they get the money off me twice. Yeah. Maybe that's why they do it. <laughs> It's actually a very clever scheme. Yeah, yeah, clever marketing. I think they should bundle them. Yeah. Oh, totally. We've had this conversation before. Yeah. Digital Buy download. the hardback, get the ebook for free. Yeah. That would be like they do that with music. They do it with vinyl. Mm. Why can't they do it with books? Yeah, I'd, perfect. I'd, I'd, I'd think they're missing a trick not doing that. Oh, that was a fantastic chat with Mark. Thank you very much for coming on and sharing your very uh, convoluted, twisty path to huge success. I mean, yes, is, indeed. Yeah. As you said at the start, it, is, it does show you the, you know, the value of persistence and just keeping going. Um, and it was also interesting hearing how the way that people, in, I suppose bookstores in particular, view um, Amazon authors in the UK compared to the US. Yeah, it is. It's. I mean, I suppose it's something you'll have had experience with as well with your with your own books. But you know, obviously, it's it's much less common to see a sort of Thomas and Mercer book on the bookshelves in yeah. your, in whether it's Waterstones or whether it's your local indie bookshop or whatever. And obviously, there are genuine issues that bookshops have with Amazon, and they're very good oh, yeah. issues. But at the same time, as we've discussed before, Amazon also has opened out. Um, a lot of possibilities for people that want to write books as well. So yeah. it, it's, it's a thorny a, issue with not a real clean answer, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. But it is interesting the difference in attitudes between the UK scene and the US scene, where yeah. you know he is he is nominated for awards, he is treated amongst his peers, and I think obviously in the UK now as well because he's so successful, um, that's starting to be the case here as well but yeah yeah um yeah it, it is a strange one but obviously as he said keep her secret is out now um so you can pick that up and obviously his next four million bestseller will no doubt no doubt be out <laughs> soon enough as well <laughs> but next week 
we have another great guest. And it's another person who has gone through that sort of self-publishing into trad mm. publishing route. That's right. Uh, author of the wonderful Combat Codes, it's Mr. Alexander Darwin, who has written a really interesting uh, book, which I love I love the concept of, which is you have, he's, he's infused kind of martial arts and kind of those kind of old school um, action movies, Hong Kong yeah. action flicks with GRPGs and a kind of immersive sci-fi stu- Science setting. fantasy, I think. Science is fantasy, that, I think that is he the defines it. It's yeah, yeah. really cool. And it's the concept of you have a, I mean, uh, one country has to a war with another. Yeah, you put a champion yeah. out to fight in a one-on-one brawl. I think that's yeah. just, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's a really interesting chat um, because, you know, we, we again, we go through that sort of whole process of how self-publishing works and how he made a success of it and how that led to the trad deal. So um, please do tune in for that one. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please do take the time to rate and review us on uh, your favourite podcast app, as that always helps us to continue to get great guests on the podcast. And if you want to get in touch, you can always do so by dropping us an email, which is podcast at rightgear.co.uk. Or you can find us on every social media network going. Uh, just search for at UK page one, unless you're on Mastodon, which is writing.exchange forward slash at page one pod. Indeed. And before we go, I should have said this at the start because no one will be listening now. But um, if you are in Scotland, <laughs> uh, bloody Scotland, the Crime Writing Festival is on the weekend of the 15th of September. Um, and Tarek and I are both separately sharing some talks there um, with some great guests. So uh, if you want to check that out, I've, I've got a panel with Gillian uh, McNillan, Catherine Faulkner and Stig Abel, who has been a previous guest on this very podcast. So um, you can still get tickets for that. So uh, please do come along if you want to. Absolutely. But otherwise, have a great week and we'll speak to you next episode. See you later. Thank you.